What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Friday, December 16th, 2022. And I figured we should get back in the saddle and talk a little Cardinals baseball. Uh, team really hasn't done anything uh, in the last week or so. Uh, I don't know how long it's been since we've done a podcast. It's been uh, pretty busy with the kid. Uh, all those little sicknesses going around having some impact in our household as well. But uh, all seems to be well. But I figured Friday night, this is going to be an opportunity. Hop on here for a little bit. Talk about what's been going on in the world of baseball. There have been some signings. Carlos Rodon signing with the Yankees. We can talk about that. That would have been a move that I thought, man, would that be interesting for the Cardinals? Because, and I guess we'll kind of spend some time tonight talking about the pitching. And uh, and then I might get into the completely ridiculous hypothetical Twitter trade poll that I put up on Friday afternoon that I'm already regretting based on the uh, the reaction and the conversation that happened there. You know, it's crazy, man. The number of responses to that Twitter poll that I saw that were, oh my gosh, look at the BFIB go. You know, they're BFIBing. I can't believe that anybody would say no to this question. And then you had the exact same sort of framing of a comment, except for the the person saying, I can't believe people would say yes to this question. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about that. And I'll, for if you saw it on Twitter and you're like, why did Brendan post this? What's going on here? I can be fully open and transparent, and I'm not even limited to 260 characters at a time when doing it. I can talk it out and, and maybe explain it for you. But that's kind of the couple of things that I want to get into tonight. As the offseason unfolds, though, if you've got Cardinals topics – because it's kind of open season, right? We could be, while one one person saying, ah, that rotation, it really concerns me, might want to hear more about that. Another person probably is thinking the outfield is really my biggest concern about the Cardinals. I want to hear more about that. So let me know as the offseason goes along. Add B. Schaefer 12. Send me a message on Twitter. And uh, let me know, like, hey, I'd like to hear you talk about this topic. Now's the time of year to do it, because that's part of the reason for the sporadic episodes is it's like, well, what do we have exactly to dive into? But, uh, well, that and the fact that I have no freaking time. But uh, anyway, let me know at for 12 on Twitter, and uh, I'll be happy to try to get into some more some more topics. But for now, I want to talk about the pitching in general because I feel like a lot of what I see on Twitter, and by the way, the way to support the show, patreon.com slash for 12 Check that out if you're interested in doing that. But a lot of what I see on Twitter in terms of people's concern about the Cardinals a lot of people are saying, well, the pitching obviously needs to be upgraded. And that's always tricky for me because I totally agree that it needs to be upgraded, but it has to be a very, in my opinion, purposeful upgrade. If you're going to do anything with it at all, it has to have some intent behind it. Katie Wu of The Athletic earlier this week reported that the Cardinals might be in the mix. You know, she said they're not in the, the Rodon sweepstakes. This was before they signed. She had that report that, no, they're not going to be after Carlos Rodon. Uh, left-handed pitcher who had a great year with the Giants last year, 230-some-odd strikeouts in 178 innings. Power pitcher, Cardinals really lack a guy like that. Would make a lot of sense. Yeah, he's going to cost a lot of money, but it's probably worth it. Cardinals ultimately don't go after him. The Yankees end up signing him earlier. I, the days honestly all blend together. I think it was today. No, it was uh, it was last night. Thursday night is when that signing came down. Six years, $160 million. For Rodon, I kind of thought he would get more. You know, that's uh, that's well short of the $30 million annual value I thought he might end up with. So 
Cardinals, I, I guess I would have said, yeah, at that price point, I think they should have probably been in. But I understand why they weren't because we've talked about having depth in the rotation. Like, they've got starting depth in so much as they have a bunch of bodies. They have warm human beings living and breathing with, with solid right arms or left arms, depending on who it is. And they've got a lot of those guys. But, like, how many of those are you feeling really good about in terms of a playoff contending starting rotation? And then how many of those are you feeling really good about for 2024 to form a playoff contending starting rotation? Because for this year, and we'll talk about it, and its I don't know how much it's really going to change based on the Rodon signing happening and the trade markets looking like they're really difficult to navigate for the Cardinals uh, at this point in the offseason. Like I would have thought trade for a starting pitcher. I've talked about that, but it just seems like trades are really hard to come by right now. Teams are asking for the moon, and then when you move on and sign your catcher of choice and free agency – the same team that was asking for the moon decides that, no, they're good with, like, some stardust. They'll take some stardust for their gold glove catcher. I'm, of course, talking about the Oakland Athletics telling the Cardinals, you've got to give us Newt Barr and Donovan and Gordon Graceffo, your minor league pitcher of the year, uh, if you're going to get Murphy from us. But then when the Cardinals sign Contreras, of course they go, uh, yeah, we'll take, uh, I don't know, Esteri Ruiz. Has he ever played in major leagues? Oh, for a few games? Okay, yeah, that's fine. And uh, Atlanta, who do you got? You got a... Moeller, some kind of 25-year-old pitcher. Yeah, ZRA was eight last year, but that doesn't matter. We'll take him. And then you're cool with that. So that's the three-team trade that happened between the Athletics, the Brewers, and the Braves. Kind of blew my mind. The Braves made out pretty good, I think. They improved from William Contreras, the brother of Wilson, and they upgraded to Murphy, who's a former Gold Glove winner and I think has a better bat than William Contreras. The Brewers, though, they get William Contreras, which was a huge upgrade from Manny Pena, who did nothing last year and is like 35 years old. Uh, so good on the Brewers. All they did was give up Ruiz, who's a prospect they like. If you play fantasy, he's a guy who could steal a bunch of bases now that he's out in Oakland and is probably going to get some big league at bats. But he's more like Magnaris Sierra, I think, in terms of the, the type of hitter that he could be. Probably more power than Sierra, but he may not stick as a everyday bat, you know, might be a guy who OPS is 650, and it just kind of is what it is. And that's really all they gave up in terms of Milwaukee. I know there are some other players involved in the deal, but I think they did well. Athletics, I don't understand it. It's like they asked the Cardinals for three legitimate pieces, and then when the Cardinals are like, no, that's crazy, and we're not insane, so we're not going to do that, the Athletics were like, oh, well, I guess it didn't work out. We'll take, you know, first offer that comes in, we'll take it. That's honestly what it seemed like. And I've seen different people say, no, no, I mean, athletics did well. I don't think they did well. And is it fair to compare it to their original ask from St. Louis? Probably not. And that was the reported ask. It may not have been exact, but, you know, I, I still, at the end of the day, they were supposedly in on needing some big league talent, and they end up picking up two prospects for Sean Murphy. I have no idea. But anyway, that was my long sort of aside in explaining that I think the trade market has been a difficult one for John Mozeliak to navigate, which I is not necessarily surprising because Mo in the off seasons, first of all, it's kind of interesting. In the middle of the regular season, when the Cardinals have a need, like the last couple of years it's been pitching, which is why we're having this conversation in December so that hopefully come July, it's not a third year in a row where they are desperate for 40% of a rotation before July 31. Mo has made those moves in season and has done so pretty well able to fill the gaps in the rotation without giving up a ton. I know Bader's a player that a lot of people like, but seemed like a good value in terms of getting Montgomery in that trade. And the Quintana deal was great. I think they should have resigned him, but 
Oviedo was never going to, I don't think, spread his wings with the Cardinals. And you had Malcolm Nunez, a power-hitting prospect that was blocked and wasn't probably going to spread his wings in St. Louis either. So it made perfect sense for what they needed. Moe's been good at those moves in season. Making like a huge splash hasn't really been his forte in season, maybe since Matt Holiday, which was a deal that they made and gave up Brett Wallace, who was a you know big prospect at the time, but never really panned out. And so Cardinals, I, I feel like we're comfortable knowing that the the risk was worth the uh, you know the potential that they don't re-sign Holiday there. But I think they had confidence that they'd be able to re-sign him, and they did. So it's been a while though. I mean, that was 2009. I want to say it was. That's uh, 13 years ago since Mo has made that kind of significant deadline deal. I know the Alan Craig deal for John Lackey. Like, okay. I still feel like that was still more of a mid-level deal. You're not seeing the blockbusters happen at the deadline. Colby Rasmus trade, not a blockbuster. He, the biggest name involved in that trade on either side was Colby Rasmus. Like <laughs> Cardinals just got a bunch of spare parts that ended up helping them do a World Series, but they haven't been able to land like a superstar at the deadline, really. And that's okay. That's rare that those kinds of deals take place, although Juan Soto is a, an example of it happening this past season. But then when you get into the offseason – the Cardinals, when they have a chance to not feel the pressure of the market, you can slow things down, especially when you've got your eye on a player for, say, multiple years, like an Arenado, where the Cardinals, they would say, sure, we'd love to have that guy, but Colorado's got to be reasonable about the ask. You know, same thing with the Goldschmidt situation. I think the Cardinals knew for a while that Goldie was, uh, yeah, if that guy becomes available on the market, you're absolutely jumping all over that. And the Cardinals kind of took those two teams to the cleaners, came out on the other side with all-star MVP caliber talents uh, that now anchor the corners of the infield for St. Louis. Deals that took a couple of years to come together, patience, it turns out to be a virtue in those situations. But in a market like this in the offseason, where the Cardinals really just need a mid-level trade, a medium size, they don't need an XL, they don't need a jumbo trade, they don't need a superstar in terms of the trade market. They just needed, like, a starting catcher. Could have been anybody. Needed to just fill that hole. Okay, couldn't do it. We'll do it in free agency. Now I look at it and think, all right, from a pitching perspective, you almost just need to jettison some guys, some of these dudes, in order to have it make sense for you to go chase a starting pitcher in the market, which you feel like you need that pitcher because the guys you have aren't of a level of quality that gives you comfort in their ability to perform in the season. But the rotation would look like this. Forget the order. We're just giving you the names. Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, Stephen Matz. There's your five. And we can go through each of those guys and go, okay, Wainwright, age-related concerns. He's pretty much bucked those trends for the most part, but you do have to pay some attention to September when he wasn't himself. He came up with an explanation for it, should be fine, but has had injury issues in the past. Obviously, something to keep an eye on. Okay, there's one. Jack Flaherty, don't need to say much. He hasn't pitched really in three years, 2022, 2021, 2020. That's three seasons where he hasn't been in full, right? He was great the second half of 2019, but that was a long time ago. And so what's it going to be like? You've still got those shoulder issues. Are they going to come back? Is he going to be able to have the ace caliber season? Like, will his health allow that to be the case? We don't know. You know, it's not unreasonable at this point to have some concerns about a guy, you just have not seen it in three years. So there's another one. Miles Michaelis was great last year. Year before that, trying to make it back from injury, wasn't able to do it, didn't pitch 
but you know, a handful of games and missed the entire 2020 season, which was a shortened season, but he missed that one. So that's like two years where it's happened. Like injuries have popped up for this guy. I think Miles of the five is the one I feel the best about, though. Like he's had his injuries and he's he should be good for a while. There's some tread on those tires, but he'll be okay. That's sort of where I am, but you got to acknowledge the risk. All right, who else we got? Montgomery. Don't have a lot of injury-related concerns, but he's a pitcher, so it's certainly possible. And Steven Matz obviously didn't really pitch last year. So, like, Michaelis, I feel solid about. Montgomery, I have no real reason to be concerned from an injury perspective other than the fact that he's a pitcher and those guys get hurt. With Wainwright, with Matz, with Flaherty, you've got maybe a little bit higher question mark levels just for the obvious reasons that we stated. Oh, and by the way, if you want to factor in 2024 to this, although I think 2023 is a very important year, you shouldn't get your sights set beyond that before you focus on, hey, focus on winning now because it should be a year where the Cardinals can be very competitive. And that window isn't going to be open forever with the same leadership core that they've got in place with Goldie and Arnado, et cetera. And, and it's Wayno's last year too, so that's got to stand for something. But if you do want to think about 2024 as the, the guys in charge of formulating this roster, I think you have to at least be aware of, Four of the five guys penciled into your rotation are not under contract beyond this coming season. It's just Steven Matz that you've got. And that's the one where you're like, yeah, I could see Andre Pallante pitching better in spring training, and I'd rather have him in the rotation than Steven Matz. Well, tough nuggets. He's getting paid. He's getting paid for three more years. And hopefully he's good, right? Hopefully he's good and healthy. But that's not, we didn't see either of those things in 2022 from Matz. So, like, there are concerns. And then you get into the depth, and this is where I think even more reasonably you should be able to make some sort of trade. But, like, it's tricky because you want to have depth, but you want to have the right depth. Right now, Dakota Hudson, Andre Pallante, Jake Woodford, Matthew Libertor, those are probably the the starting pitchers in waiting, the guys that will go into spring training trying to compete for a spot in the rotation, but really there's no competition if the starting five that we have already kind of laid out are healthy. They're either getting paid or they've got more experience or they've got, you know, it's just obvious that they're going to be the starting five, if healthy. Now, one and a half of them, 1.5 starting pitchers, will get injured during spring training. One will be out for the year, and I say a half because the other one's going to be out for a little while, but they're going to say, ah, it's a few weeks, but then it turns into months, and then you may get him back, you may not. That will happen. I don't know who it's going to be, but history will tell you that is going to be the case. Top of my head, I'm bad with the years thing. My brain's a little scrambled right now, so I don't know if year by year I'm going to get this right. But last year, Jack Flaherty, obviously. Uh, before that, Miles Michaelis. Carlos Martinez was in there. Alex Reyes was uh, this this past year as well, uh, and he was in the mix potentially to be a starter. That was what they were, were going with. Jordan Hicks, that came up later in spring training, right, I want to say, uh, or maybe it was slightly after. doesn't matter. It's going to happen. The injuries are going to happen. You could go back even further, I'm sure, and find examples of it. If you've been following Cardinals baseball for long enough, or baseball in general, this is not a Cardinals-specific thing, uh, but it does seem to happen a lot with St. Louis. There will be somebody that shows up to spring training. It's like, oh, boy, that's not what we were hoping to hear. And then they're shut down or whatever. The Cardinals have candidates for that to be the case this year, so you know that you want to have starting depth behind those guys that you trust. Hudson is a guy that was in the rotation this past year. I view him as outside looking in. He might be the one example of a guy that could win his way into the rotation, I guess. I don't know who over. Um, 
but I, he's he is a veteran technically compared to uh, you know the Palantes of the world. So yeah, I could see Hudson just being kind of viewed as an incumbent, even though he sort of lost his role at the end of the season. If he pitches great, who knows? But an injury certainly puts him back into play into the starting rotation. How great do you feel about that? You know, I, I think maybe the Dakota Hudson experience has run its course. I know Ollie Marmel had his moments. I mean, you could hear it in his post games. Not that he's not going to be going to bat for all his guys. He's going to love his players and all that. But you can hear it. The frustration of, yeah, Hudson was not performing the way that we wanted to see. He wasn't pitching with the pace we wanted to see, keeping his fielders engaged. I mean, there were multiple occasions where Ollie had to harp on that. And if it's something that doesn't get improved upon, I just don't know how long the leash is going to be. So in another organization or in this one, if he can figure his stuff out, I still think Dakota Hudson could pitch at the major league level. But does it? could it be a situation where you trade him to the Royals, you trade him to the Pirates, you trade him to the Reds, you trade him to the Diamondbacks, you trade him, you see what's out there, and maybe it's for a non-40-man roster guy because you're just trying to clear a spot because you'd like to sign a pitcher that you feel a little bit better about. And that's what's going kind of circles me back to the, the Katie Wu report about, yeah, no Carlos Rodon, but she did say the Cardinals, if they signed someone, it would be like a veteran swingman type. And what comes to mind is like Drew Verhagen, but like good. That's kind of the, because Verhagen, when they signed him, they gave him a two-year deal, first of all, so he's still around. Throw him in the mix as as far as that starting depth is concerned. You might say, no, 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 don't do that. I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. I'm just saying that's what conceivably the team could do if they don't just outright cut him. And I, they have no reason not to. They're paying him already, so you might as well just bring him to spring training and see what he can do if he's healthy. He was injured a lot last season. But they signed him to a two-year deal, not a ton of money, but a couple million per year, whatever it was, to be that guy that it was like he could pitch in the rotation or he could pitch out of the bullpen. And evidently, that's what Katie reports the Cardinals would be after. And I'm thinking, you have nine of those guys. I just listed nine. Count for Hagen, that's 10. They have a full rotation of swing men. Like behind their starting five, they have another fivesome that you could say are swing men types that could be starters or relievers. Palante, Woodford, Hudson, Verhagen, the guy whose name escapes me. No, Libertor. Libertor is the other one. And he's he's probably more AAA starter or major league starter. I don't think you need to move him to the bullpen. Zach Thompson, throw him in the mix. I'd rather see Zach Thompson get a run at a starting rotation spot in spring training than some of those guys. But what will happen is he'll be shifted to relief because he was great in it. And he'll remain great in it because he because he throws a hundred, and so he'll probably get boxed into the relief role, like Ryan Helsley, like Jordan Hicks. Which, by the way, Jordan Hicks at least eventually got his chance to start, and it just didn't work out. He he wasn't able to maintain the workload, whether it was health related reasons or whatever it was. At least he did get that shot. Ryan Helsley sort of ends up getting boxed into the closer role because he's so damn good in it. But because closers are inherently less valuable than an everyday outfielder, let's say, you end up having Twitter polls that get people upset. I will talk about that a little bit before we're done and explain my thought process there uh, with the uh, Ryan Helsley-related Twitter poll from Friday afternoon. But nevertheless, I don't understand the deal with a veteran swingman, why the Cardinals would need that. Noah Syndergaard was one of the names that was listed. He has since signed with uh, the Dodgers. 
there are some other guys on the list that people are like, I hope that's not true <laughs> because I just don't really know. Well, Michael Waka, that was on there. And that would be, I guess that would be fine. But like, if you add Michael Waka to this team, and I like Michael Waka, so that's why I say it'd be fine. But realistically, from a need perspective, you add him to this team, what what's the role going to be? Is he going to be a starting depth? Is he that different than Dakota Hudson? He definitely had a better 2022 than Dakota Hudson. But if you're if you're shopping in that, Jordan Lyles was another name on the list. If you're shopping in that bin, in sort of the bargain bin, which that bargain bin will still cost you probably $8 million annual salary. I don't know what those guys are going to make, but pitching has just been crazy what it's been, what's been costing this offseason, with the exception of Rodon, who I thought actually somehow the Yankees got a deal on him. But I just don't really know. Where does Waka slot into your your rotation pecking order? Where is he in the hierarchy? Fifth, sixth, seventh? It would seem to me if you're going to sign a guy like that, you have to trade away some of these bodies because you just don't have the 40-man room. And sometimes what happens is we, we notice it in December and January and February, and we're like, Cardinals, trade away this guy before you end up DFAing this guy on May 17th. And what do they do? They can't find in the offseason that little trade. They can make the big ones that take years of planning. But in the offseason, where is the little trade that just clears up some space and you get a little something? They haven't been able to do that in the offseason. It ends up being a, a de facto DFA in the season. And I guess maybe part of that is just misplaced expectations on my part or the part of the fan base because maybe it's just not possible to do those kinds of deals right now. But it does seem like other teams get minor trades done. And you can say, oh, I see the fit for both sides. They had a surplus here. They needed that. They, okay, you make a deal. Right now, the Cardinals need to trade away the extra pitchers, some of them, like Woodford, Hudson. I don't know how much you're going to get for those guys. But they could be starters somewhere. It would help you. It would help their careers if you get a minor league bat that would be the 17th best prospect in your system and he's not on the 40-man, doesn't have to be for a couple of years, great. That's the kind of trade that I think makes sense. And then sign your veteran swingman. Then sign your Michael Waka because, yeah, like pound for pound, I think Michael Waka is a better candidate as starting depth than Dakota Hudson. But is he, is he better enough that you'll just dump Dakota Hudson for, for nothing? No. I don't think that makes any sense. So it's like, I don't really know where, and it's just, the, you know, the reports. We haven't seen any action on that front yet. But if the Cardinals are looking for veteran swingmen type, they've got five of them. And all five of them don't fit in their rotation. So I don't really understand it. You could try to trade. I've talked about this a lot of times on the show this offseason. You could try to trade Jack Flaherty or like Jordan Montgomery if you wanted to. Trade a guy that's on an expiring contract. Get something for him because those are good players. Get a bat in return and then turn around and sign a meaningful starter to take their place. I feel like the well has sort of run dry on that concept, though, because I don't know who's left out there to sign. Rodon was really the one that I thought, yeah, if you're going to do that, that's the way to do it. But they weren't able to get their their catcher bat via trade, and, and I just don't know that it's going to happen. You know, they're probably good to go in terms of the offense at this point, I would have to think, unless they can jettison Paul DeYoung that clears up a spot. Maybe you make another signing of a of a lower-level type of guy. I don't know. But I'm just looking at things going, oh, there's so much opportunity to be creative. As it is, though, you're going to come into spring training with a lot of questions, which is okay. But you've, you've got depth, but it's like, 
I just, I don't know. On the one hand, I always preach like the Cardinals should be trying to build a roster that is Dodgers-esque in that you've got really good players on the bench on a given day. And they're going to platoon their way into the lineup when it fits, and they're not when it doesn't, and it's going to work out great. I guess that's sort of what they have with Nolan Gorman and Brendan Donovan and Tommy Edmond, Juan Yepes. You've got extra infielders. you got extra outfielders if you count Jordan Walker and Alec Burleson coming up. So I feel like that's what they have, but also, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, not a level of trust in the way they're going to use those pieces, which is maybe unfair. I think Ollie's done a really good job of uh, handling platoons and things of that nature. And maybe, you know, taking the Albert Pujols factor out of the equation, it clears up Ali to even be more aggressive in the way he wants to do that with DH, which last year it just made sense to play Albert down the stretch because he was the best hitter on the team. So it's not like it was bad managerial or they were catering to the sentimental nature of playing Pujols every day. No, he was hitting bombs and helping them win games. But I think maybe this helps a little bit that you could have Donovan and Gorman both coexist in the lineup more often. You can set up your outfield the way you want to. You might add another outfield bat, or it just might be Jordan Walker. Like, I could totally see where the Cardinals offense, you add Contreras, and it ends up being fine. It ends up being better than last year even because you you significantly upgraded a catcher, and you might be fortunate enough to get better seasons out of guys like Tyler O'Neill, like Dylan Carlson, who were down last year and improved. Lars Newbar maybe has a full season of the guy we saw in the second half. That'd be great. He'd be an all-star. So some of those types of things could happen. Nolan Gorman could take a step forward because he's a young player still learning and he can take another leap even though he was solid enough in the chances he got last year. He would go through slumps, but the numbers at the end of the season weren't weren't bad at all for his rookie campaign. Juan Yepes, same thing. He's got maybe more to give. So, like, the offense could just be totally fine with who they've got. It felt, though, like there was an opportunity to really make a big splash. I think they tried to do it, and it just the, – the asking prices, which, admittedly, we talked about the Oakland ask on Sean Murphy. It was crazy. It was nuts. They could have gotten Sean Murphy with a more reasonable asking price and then signed a, a shortstop. Probably would have been Dansby Swanson, though. That's the only one who's going to have a, a contract even within – the range of what Contreras's ultimately was, but you could have devoted Contreras money towards Swanson, added a little bit to it, and then ended up with Swanson and Contreras and a, and a pretty good boost to your overall lineup and your depth as well, potentially, depending on who they would have had to, have to give up for Murphy. But that didn't happen, and so now we're looking at apparently veteran swingmen, but we're looking at the trade market and saying, all right, it's sort of it seems to be drying up a little bit. There are trades to be made. I, I guess you could try to pry away. Like people say, well, go get Shane Beaver. Go get Tyler Glass now. Like those would be big trades to me. But it would make a lot of sense because it would give you that ace type of arm or the the potential to have one that would be interesting. But I don't know. I think to do it, you'd have to trade away from your offensive uh, depth, whether it's middle infield or the Yepes guys or the Burlesons of the world, or you dip into the prospect stash a little bit, which they don't really want to do or you, you make a, a, a pure baseball trade. You trade Tyler O'Neill for a pitcher. It might be a guy on an expiring contract, but you you say that's what we want to do. We want to get a legit pitcher, understanding that O'Neill has high upside, but this is the swap we want to make because then we're going to be able to go out and get this outfielder to, to fill back in, and we can trade away Dakota Hudson. 
I hear it too. It's too many moving parts to expect it to happen in one offseason, and that's what I have said before. It just would have been nice to see that sort of dynamic, very Jerry DePoto type of offseason from the Cardinals. And it, it was kind of a long shot for it ever to take place, and the further we get into it, the further it looks like, uh, the more it looks like that's not really going to happen. So that is what it is. But that's sort of the way I look at it. They want a veteran swingman in the rotation. I'm thinking you've already got a bunch of those. So unless there are other moves that precede that or that come after the fact, I would be a little bit confused by that addition. It's weird. They know they need help in terms of starting pitching, but they also haven't been able to make some productive moves to even clear the spot on the 40-man or 26-man roster to allow that to happen. So we'll see what ends up happening. Hopefully it's not make a move, but then like you're taking somewhat capable talent and you just kind of cut them or DFA, whatever it ends up being. Hopefully that's not the case. But it is still December, so plenty of time. All right, let's get into this hypothetical that has no chance of ever actually happening, but that doesn't mean it didn't get you know 7,000 people riled up on Twitter today. And you say, 7,000? That sounds like a lot. It's underselling what actually happened. As of this recording, which is it's now after midnight, we're on to December 17th, Saturday, 7,263 people have voted in this damn poll. And I can't believe the results, but I sort of can. Here was the poll itself. And then I'll give the background. Or should I give the background first? I'll give the background first. It was the Cardinals Nation 24-7 in the replies to somebody's tweet. I don't even know what tweet it was. But people were asking about, would you make this trade? I think it was a Brian Reynolds trade where would you give up Dylan Carlson and these two other pieces for uh, Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. Switch hitting outfielder has played center field, would probably be better suited defensively in the corner outfield. But I call him a stone-cold killer because offensively that's what he's been in his career. I think he's a, a great player. Had a little bit of a down season this past year. He's just 27 years old. He'll turn 28 in January. This past year, though, his down season was an 807 OPS with uh, 27 home runs. 2021, he was an all-star, 24 homers, 90 RBIs, hit 302, 912 OPS with a good slug, just a really, really solid hitter. 145 was his OPS plus in 2021. And then he declined a little bit, but it's not like age-related decline. He just had a lesser year. I think he probably settles around what he's been for his career, which is an 842 OPS, a 280 hitter. And he'll hit 20, 25 home runs a year and, you know, give you probably pretty good corner outfield defense. He regressed pretty substantially defensively as a center fielder this past year. But you got to keep in mind, too, defensive metrics sometimes year to year, small sample sizes can impact. And, and maybe that was a just a bad glimpse into a randomly bad year for Brian Reynolds in center field. Maybe he is a good defender. Who knows? But I'm very high on Brian Reynolds. I think he would be a great fit for the Cardinals, and I'd be hankering to get him. Problem is, he's on the Pirates. He's got three years of control, and they've got no reason to trade him within the division. And if they did do it, they'd be it's, it'd be like the Oakland Athletics asking price for Sean Murphy, but on steroids. I just Because of the divisional aspect, I just don't see it happening. But people are having their off-season conversations in the in the Twitter tweets as they do. And Cardinals Nation 24/7, they they replied to the original question about the Carlson for Reynolds swap, which the more I think about it, I would trade Carlson for Reynolds. I don't know what I would add to Carlson to get Reynolds, but I would do that trade. 
They're both switch hitters, but Reynolds doesn't have the splits issue that Carlson did this last year. Carlson has more years of control. He's got like five years of control, whereas Reynolds only has three. I think I would do it one for one, and I might throw in a, a pitching prospect or something. And maybe that's reactionary because Dylan Carlson, a year ago, we were very high on Dylan Carlson. He could still be that guy. So you don't want to overreact to one bad year. But I just think Ryan Reynolds is, is a better hitter. Not a better defender, though. So you, you'd have to hope that Reynolds is better in center than you thought or that Lars Newpar or Tyler O'Neill could play center. But that was sort of the, the basis for the original question. And then somebody, it was Cardinals Nation 24-7, their account, added, and they're using they're all using that trade simulator, the baseball trade values. You've probably seen the screenshots of the light green background, and people are running their simulations to see what MLB trades could or couldn't happen. And the trade simulator is fun to play around with, but it's not based in reality. It tries to be, but I, I think it's impossible to do a perfect job of that. And so, like, I don't say that you should go online and use that as though it's the Bible and you swear on it. And if that website says it's true, then that means the teams would make the deal. No, that's not at all the case. But the trade that was put in there had some younger prospects mixed in with one bigger name that you know, Ryan Helsley. Would you trade, it was like four guys, Helsley being one of them, for Brian Reynolds. And when I looked at it, it had like 20 replies, and everybody was saying, no, oh, hell no, absolutely not. I was like, huh, that's interesting. I didn't, th- and on the on the trade website, it had it pretty well even, but I thought, eh, which doesn't mean everything, but I did think, yeah, that's actually not crazy. It was like Joshua Baez, some, some little smaller prospect names. Maybe Burleson was in there too, and it just struck me as like, I don't know, it's a relief pitcher for a former all-star outfielder. Yes. Ryan Helsley was an all-star more recently than Reynolds. And uh, he was really good this past year. And he's got a few years of team control remaining as well. But I just come back to, he's a reliever. Cardinals didn't let him become a starter. He got boxed into the relief role, which is just less valuable. It is. And you might say, well, that's bullcrap, Brendan, because Ryan Helsley was fantastic last year. You're going to tell me that didn't have value? And I'll say, no, he, he was very valuable. And it was reasonably the best you could ever expect him to do. Can we all agree on that? He had a career year, and even if he does it again this next year, it's hard to imagine him being better. 1.25 ERA, 9-1 record. He was awesome. And the reason he was awesome is because he is awesome. Ryan Helsley is a fantastic pitcher. But he's a relief pitcher. 94 strikeouts in 64 innings. That's great. That's a power pitcher. Those are hard to come by in MLB these days. All that being said, Brian Reynolds in his down year last year, 807 OPS, subpar center field defense. In a down year, he accumulated 2.9 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. Ryan Helsley, in the best year he'll ever have ever. And you could tell me right now, he's going to match it this next year. And I'll say, all right, I just can't imagine it being better. He might be as good, but better, that's tough. Ryan Helsley, 2.7 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. And I know there's fan graphs, but I'm not I, I, I'm not, not including fan graphs because it benefits my argument. I truly don't know. I haven't even looked on fan graphs. So it might be that it benefits my argument. It might be that it doesn't, and they like Helsley more than Reynolds. But Reynolds had a down year by his standard, 2.9 wins above replacement. Helsley, the best year that you'll ever have, 2.7. 
And this was last year. This just happened. And so I was like, wow, a lot of people, I was not getting lost in the little names that were added to Helsley in that trade. Four for one for Brian Reynolds. But I was like, you know what? People are getting lost in this maybe. I'm just going to put it up as a poll. Ryan Helsley for Reynolds straight up. What would you do? And to me, it is a no-brainer that you would make that trade. A hundred times out of a hundred, especially in December. Maybe not in July because a lot of people that said no were like, well, what would you do at closer? And I'm like, how about who cares? It's December 16th. Figure it out. You got months to figure that out. Has nobody watched Cardinals baseball for the last 16 years? You've had a bunch of closers that just come out of nowhere. Jason Mott, Ryan Franklin, Isringhausen was great. Cardinals Hall of Famer, that's great. But then Gio Gallegos was good for a while. Helsley comes in. Jordan Hicks was good for a while. Martin, Carlos freaking Martinez was good for a while. You find a closer. They won't be an all-star. They won't be what Ryan Helsley just was. Oh, Alex Reyes. How about that for a name? And that's what it boils down to for me. For people who are like, I can't believe the BFIB would be trading Ryan Helsley. That's insanity. Is it? Here's why it's not. And again, this was just a hypothetical. The Pittsburgh Pirates of all teams do not need to send their valuable three-year outfielder. They'll have him for three more years before free agency. They do not need to send him for a closing pitcher because they stink and they don't need a closer because they're not going to win any games. They're not making the playoffs for the next couple of years, more than likely. So they got no use for an all-star closer at the prime of his career. However, think about Alex Reyes a year ago. Or go back to the trade deadline of 2021. The Cardinals were kind of teetering. And I remember a few bold souls on Twitter said, Cardinals should trade Alex Reyes right now because his value is never going to be higher. And they were totally right. The reason the Cardinals couldn't do that is because they were in the race and it would have looked really bad. It would have been like what the Brewers did with Josh Hader this past year when they were leading the division and they traded away their all-star closer, the best closer in the game by, by many regards at the time. And they dealt him away. And it's like he didn't do great on his new team either, necessarily. However, it tanked the locker room and it tanked the clubhouse culture and the Brewers went on a big losing streak. I really do feel like part of that was the message it sent to the clubhouse of, yeah, we kind of don't really value what's going on here. This isn't a World Series year for us, so we're just going to try to sneak by, win the division without Hater. This will help us in the long run. We, this is what This is for the best. I don't think the clubhouse took kindly to that, and I think it did have an impact on their play. So you can't do that in the middle of the season. That's why the Cardinals didn't trade Alex Reyes. But in retrospect, Cardinals didn't win the World Series in 2021. So you could say that would have been, if you could go back and change it, and you could get a good piece for Alex Reyes at the time, would have made a ton of sense because he never pitched again after that 2021 season. Now he's a free agent. He's gone. Bottom line is relievers are fickle. This is not a commentary on Ryan Helsley. It's commentary on relievers. It's his position that's the problem, not the not the guy. I have no reason to believe, other than the fact that he's a pitcher, same as I said with Jordan Montgomery, that's just a prerequisite to you're probably going to get hurt at some point. Add the fact that Helsley throws super hard, it has occasionally had little injuries, but what pitcher doesn't? I'm not holding any of that against him. It's just that he's a pitcher and he's a reliever. Relievers have a ceiling. They can only be so valuable because you're only going to use them in so many games. They could be perfect. And in terms of wins above replacement, that sort of valuation, you're not going to beat an all-star outfielder ever. And Brian uh, Brian Reynolds this past year was not an all-star. 
And still, he had, in a down season compared to his 2021, more wins above replacement, more value in that regard than Helsley. And Helsley was awesome. You could tell me right now, Brennan, Ryan Helsley will have the exact same 2023 as he did 2022. You could guarantee me that and then say for the, the 24 and 25 seasons, you don't know what he's going to do. But I'll guarantee you that 2023 is just as good. I could know, I could get no such guarantee about Reynolds. I would still make the trade. There's no doubt about it. Because Brian Reynolds, is, even in a down year, had more value than Helsley's best year. Because one's a starting outfielder that can play 160 games a year. The other is going to play 50 or 60 games a year. He's going to pitch for one inning. It's going to be the most important inning of the game. Don't get me wrong. But it's just, I mean, it's just a value proposition that you can't lose if you're taking the outfielder. So it was a it was a dumb hypothetical game that I wanted to play because I had a feeling it would be close. I was like, ooh, based on the way these replies are going to this other trade idea, I think it's going to be like 60-40. Yeah, they'll say yes to do the trade, but 40% are going to say no because, you know, they, they, obvious reasons. They like Ryan Helsley, as they should, and they'll wonder, well, who's going to be the closer? And part of the – I just don't agree with this, but part of it was people were saying, well, you've got O'Neal, you've got Newt Barr, you've got uh, – Dylan Carlson, you've got Jordan Walker coming. Alex, Bro- you already got enough outfielders. What do you need another one for? Forget the position. What have I been saying all offseason? Impact bat. You need an impact bat because DH is in play. You can have a guy that can DH a good chunk of the season. Injuries will happen in your outfield. I want that DH to be a switch hitting outfielder because you can take turns. Everybody gets a day off. Everybody can play the field. We're all decent defenders. Oh, by the way, somebody's going to get hurt, and so now we're we're back into a squeeze. I'm all about adding an impact bat. Do not care the position. It's the same reason I wanted to see them go for a shortstop. They don't need a shortstop. They need a bat. Wilson Contreras helps tremendously at the catcher position, but you can do more. You can add and make the DH slot better because you lost Albert, and now it's like, all right, you could put Gorman there, but they've said in the past they wanted to play the field. But then Brendan Donovan's a second baseman, so what are you going to do there? There's a lot of things that, you know, could happen with that spot. I just thought, get a bonafide stud. That makes sense. Again, this is all hypothetical. The Helsley thing for Brian Reynolds is not a thing. But I was pretty stunned to see 47.7% voted yes, 52.3% as of right now voted no. 120 people have replied. We're up to 7,300 votes. And a lot of people, I mean, were seriously... Not into the idea. Eddie uh, Eddie Nectar is the uh, Twitter name. He said, without the caveat of restocking the back end of the bullpen, this trade would be pointless. A soft rotation and a weak bullpen goes absolutely nowhere, so it doesn't matter. A lot of comments like that. A lot of people said, this being over 50%, no, is pure comedy. That was from Brian. But then there were people who said, BFib are going to BFib. I can't believe there are people that would try to trade Ryan Helsley. How ridiculous. It's not a Ryan Helsley thing. It's a closing pitcher thing. It's a relief pitcher thing. I hope I've clarified that. Like, I, you won't find a bigger fan of Ryan Helsley. I would trade any relief pitcher in baseball. Any. I don't care what team he's on. I would trade that player for Brian Reynolds. No questions asked on December 17th. Because you might say for a little bit, well, who's going to be the closer? And then you get to spring and you go, Holy crap, I didn't know we had this 24-year-old who throws 100. Maybe he could be the closer, and then he is, and the rest is history. That happens every year to, like, 
a dozen teams in big league baseball. It happens every year. And I'm not saying I know off the top of my head who that guy would be for the Cardinals. And I'm not saying he'd be Ryan Helsley. I'm just saying value proposition. I'm happy to think in terms of the, the dollars and cents of wins above replacement in December, because I know there's time to figure out all the questions about the depth chart later on. I don't care about that. I think Brian Reynolds is a stone cold killer and would be a great addition to the lineup. So that's, that was my thought process. But again, the pirates don't need a closer and they don't need to trade Reynolds to their division rivals. So it's all for naught. but I thought, wow, that was something that really stirred people up. Like I do these polls. Sometimes they get a couple thousand votes, 3000, 4,000. I don't think I've ever got one that had 7,300 votes in the first 10 hours. I don't think that's ever happened. So people were very, uh, stirred up by this topic, obviously. And so I wanted to talk about it on the show. And by the way, the other aspect of this whole Helsley thing, I guess I should have led with this, but the reason there was actually some basis in reality, not for a Reynolds deal, but in general that the Cardinals have reportedly been sort of shopping Ryan Helsley or floating his name out there in various trade offers, really just one. They were talking about the catcher position with Toronto and Danny Jansen, Derek Gould had reported that some discussion of Ryan Helsley was had. He didn't say what that discussion was. A Toronto reporter later did imply on a podcast that the discussion was the Cardinals were trying to give Ryan Helsley instead of an outfielder like Newpar to get Danny Jansen at catcher. And Toronto said, no, we don't want to take Helsley for Jansen. That's what evidently the discussion was, according to a Toronto reporter. And so that that just tells me that the Cardinals saw the deal with Alex Reyes. They've seen the fact that over the last 15 years, they've had a number of closers come through, do the job, and then flame out. It's not to say that Reyes, that, uh, pardon me, not to say that Helsley is that type. It's just to say that it's the archetype of a closer, and that's the nature of the game. Relievers can be fickle from year to year. And also, they get hurt, too. They get Tommy John just like the rest of them. So I, I think it's interesting that the Cardinals were reportedly willing to trade Helsley instead of an outfielder in order to get their catcher situation fixed. Ultimately, they signed Contreras. I'm glad Ryan Helsley's not being traded. He's going to be a Cardinal. But that's just an interesting little tidbit. Like, if you think it's crazy to trade Helsley for an all-star Brian Reynolds, all-star outfielder, former all-star, I should say, but still a very good player and still pretty young, 28 years old this next season. If you think that's crazy and insane, just know that there are reports that the Cardinals were willing to move Helsley for less. They were going to get a, a catcher who only caught like 60 games last year for Helsley, and the other team said no. So don't overvalue closers is what I would say in terms of trade value. In the middle of the season, when you're a, a division-leading team or you're going into October, yes, closers are absolutely critical. Cardinals found that out the hard way when their stud closer was injured and didn't know it, and that's why Helsley didn't get the job done in the wild card series and the Cardinals lost to Philadelphia. That's a fluke, though. That's not an indication that he's washed or is going to be bad next year. I think he's going to be great. He was hurt and just kind of tightened up on him, and it sucks colossally, but that's what happened. But no, I just thought that was kind of an interesting aspect as well. That like, hey, the Cardinals sort of see the value proposition in trading a closer while he's at his highest value because it'll never get better than this. And then figuring out closer some other way. Like they're not they're not gonna do that, I don't think, but it doesn't seem as though they're fundamentally closed off to the concept because they were evidently kind of floating around with the notion of a 
Helsley for Danny Jansen swap. Didn't happen. And uh, Hell's Bells it remains. I love Ryan Helsley. I don't want to see him go, but it just we're playing the value proposition game in the offseason. That's what it looks like. All right. I've talked too long. My voice is getting tired. I appreciate you guys, as always. Hit me up at for 12 on Twitter. Let me know what topics we should be talking about on B-Shape Daily the rest of the way. Appreciate you guys, as always. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.